3: Hey, welcome to Beyond the Scenes, the podcast that goes deeper into segments and topics that originally aired on the Daily Show. This is what this podcast is like. All right, this podcast is like a smoothie. You know, you know, we're the with a perfect blend of healthy fruit, a little bit of protein powder, lots of lots of greens, or that dumbass chia seed or that flax seed you bought at the beginning of the year because you told yourself new year new me. I'm going to put flax seed in everything. And you realize it's disgusting. That's what this podcast is. I'm Roy Wood Jr. Today, we're talking about the sub minimum wage. That's right. That's what I said. Sub minimum wage, even less than minimum wage.
2: Roll the clip.
0: The federal minimum wage is $7.25 an hour. But in 43 states, employers are allowed to pay tipped workers less, some as little as $2.13 an hour, a federal wage which has not increased in 25 years. The rationale is that customers' tips are supposed to make up the difference between $2.13 an hour and the minimum wage. And if the tipped employee doesn't receive the minimum wage through tips, employers are required to pay the difference. In the industry, it's called topping up. In seven states, including Minnesota, topping up is not an issue because those states require employers to pay tipped workers the full minimum wage. Tips are considered additional income.
3: To help us talk about this a little bit more, I'm joined by Daily Show deep dive researcher Stephanie O, who was the original person who pitched this segment. Stephanie, thank you for being underpaid for so long <laughs> that you finally got a spot on the show to speak out against this issue. How are
4: you doing? Yes. I'm good. How are you, Roy?
3: <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay. Also joining us for this conversation is the president of One Fair Wage, and the director of the Food Labor Research Center at the UC Berkeley, Saru Jayaraman. Welcome to the show. How you doing, Saru?
2: I'm so good. Thank you so much for having me.
3: Now, let's start from the top. As the great Chris Rock once said in his first comedy album, Born Suspect, Deep Cut Shit, on this podcast, Chris Rock said that minimum wage is your boss's way of saying, hey, if I could pay you less, I would. (laughs) But it's against the law. (laughs) So when we talk about sub-minimum wage, first off, let's define what sub-minimum wage is, and then let's get into who's affected the most by it.
2: Well, sadly, sub-minimum wage is the way, Chris Rock, that your boss legally pays you less than the minimum wage. Um, And it is a direct legacy of slavery that has resulted in six million workers in the United States legally being paid less than the minimum wage because supposedly their tips bring them from that sub minimum wage to the regular minimum wage and actually the employer is supposed to ensure for every hour that they work that tips actually bring them to the full minimum wage but Mm -hmm. uh, data shows that in 84% of cases at least that doesn't happen.
3: And who's the most affected by this? You know, I've waited. I pretty much have done everything you could possibly do in food service from front of the house to back of the house. And even as a tipped worker, at some spots, you were forced to share tips with people in the back of the house who were getting minimum wage. Uh, But are there any other groups uh, that are affected by this, Saru?
2: Yes, tipped workers in the U.S. are overwhelmingly women. They're over 70% women. And they have been, frankly, since emancipation when this uh, whole system was created. They're over two-thirds women. They are disproportionately women of color. We have the highest rates of single mothers of any industry in the United States. And they they are overwhelmingly single moms and women who work at very casual restaurants, so IHOPs and Denny's. Uh, Olive Garden, Red Lobster, they don't, less than 5% actually work in fine dining. They are overwhelmingly working in very casual restaurants. They struggle with three times the poverty rate of other workers. They use food stamps at double the rate of other workers. Um, So they're overwhelmingly young women of color. Sometimes, when I say young, I don't mean teenagers. I mean, in their 30s, they have children. Uh, The median age is actually mid 35 and they are the lowest income women in America, actually.
3: What about when we talk about, you know, like I had a boss, I'll tell you a brief story. I worked at a food spot in Birmingham. At 16, I was closing the store at two in the morning, which is against every child labor law ever written. That's a separate law that's being broken. But talk a little bit about the youth workers and incarcerated workers and how they could also be taken advantage of, as well as members of the disabled community.
2: So first of all, uh, let me just say there are actually multiple subminimum wages in the U.S. There's the subminimum wage for tipped workers, which is the largest population of workers earning less than the minimum wage, 6 million workers. There's a subminimum wage for workers with disabilities, as you said, that's existed since the establishment of the Fair Labor Standards Act, based completely just on the idea that people with disabilities are less productive, um, not completely human, basically. There's a subminimum wage in many states for Youth based on the idea that somehow young people deserve to be paid less when they work. There's a sub minimum wage for incarcerated workers that is a direct, a second legacy of slavery uh, that comes directly from, uh, of course, the 13th Amendment and the ability to continue slavery in the case of incarcer- incarceration. Um, But returning to that first biggest chunk, which is six million tipped workers in America, as I said, direct legacy of slavery uh, was created at emancipation in order to basically allow the restaurant industry to hire black people for free, black women in particular, not pay them anything and have them live entirely on a new thing that had just come from Europe at the time called tipping. And that notion of tipping had originated in feudal Europe. And it was always, since feudal times, an extra bonus on top of a wage. We in the US uniquely uniquely mutated it into a replacement for wages, hmm. creating the sub minimum wage basically as a way to continue slavery at emancipation. And that idea was made law in 1938 when everybody got the right to the federal minimum wage for t- for, for the first time. But tipped workers who are overwhelmingly black women were left out and told, you get zero as long as you get tips.
3: So tipping comes from Europe, and then Americans go, well, uh, how about I just not give you anything and you just keep whatever penny somebody throw at your ass before the end of your shift? That's when right. Did, when did we get to the actual minimum wage for the first time.
2: Actually, I do have to share one more thing before we get to the actual minimum wage, which is at emancipation, there were actually two industries that sought to hire newly freed black people, not pay them anything and have them live on tips. One was the Pullman Train Company that hired newly freed black men uh, and as porters on trains, tried to pay them just in tips. But as many of you know, A. Philip Randolph formed the first black union in the United States, the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters and won the right to an actual wage rather than living on tips. Black women were hired by the restaurant industry and were not so lucky. Uh, there was no union for them and so they were left, as you told, with as you said, with just tips, no wage. And that idea that black women could be paid nothing but tips was made law in 1938 when everybody else got the right to a federal minimum wage for the first time, but tipped workers who were overwhelmingly women, women of color were left out and told you don't get anything, you just get tips. And we went from a zero dollar wage in 1938 all the way up to $2.13 an hour, the current federal minimum wage for tipped workers in 2023. And I was saying, listen, back to your question of like who these workers are, Sometimes when I share this data, people say that's terrible, but in their mind, they're thinking, oh, that's okay, because it's just one tiny sliver of the population. The restaurant industry is currently the number one fastest growing private sector employer in the United States of America. It is the largest employer of women. It is the largest employer of young people. 40% of restaurant workers are under the age of 24. It is the largest employer of formerly incarcerated people. It is the largest employer of immigrants. It's the largest employer period one in two americans has worked in the industry at some point in their lifetime just like stephanie and roy you both worked in the industry I only worked one in, in that
3: industry right, of right half
2: here. of america has worked in this industry and yet despite its size and its growth and the fact that we've all worked in it it has gotten away for 160 years with not paying its own workers and essentially saying for 160 years we shouldn't have to pay our own workers other working people who eat in our restaurants should pay our workers wages for us Uh, and and they and as a result you have this immense industry of mostly women women of color that are still paid two dollars an hour today
3: Uh, stephanie i want to ask you a question real quick about the research that went into unpacking all of this but just real quick uh saru on that 1938 part of it when you say that black women weren't as lucky in terms of being able to get a minimum wage. How were they single? Did they just make it, did they wedge out specific occupations that were predominantly done by black women and go, everybody gets a minimum wage or something? Or did they just go, no, you're a black, you're a woman, no money for you. Like, like how did they do the racism?
2: Explain to me
3: the specific angle of the racism on this.
2: Right. Well, racism at the time was segregating black people into certain occupations and industries that were still servile, basically. You know, service occupations, domestic workers, restaurant workers, porters. uh, And those were the occupations that were denied a minimum wage.
3: Sharecropping and stuff like that.
2: That's right. The National Restaurant Association was formed 20 years before 1938 and 1919 with the express intent and purpose of. fighting to deny both agricultural and restaurant workers a wage. And at the time, both of those occupations were overwhelmingly Black. Mm. And so, you know, you can say, oh, it's about industries, but those industries were overwhelmingly Black. And so really it was about denying Black people a wage.
3: Stephanie, how did this segment come together? And, you know, because, you know, in the building, I've always said that to get a pitch approved for production on the show... It's really not that different from getting a bill passed in Congress without voting (laughs) 15 (laughs) times in a row. for people. But you have the idea, you take it to someone else and then you two go get three more people. They co-sponsor the idea and then you take it up there to the House Speaker, which was Trevor at the time. Like, how did this segment come to and what was it about it that drew you to it and, you know, make The Daily Show cover it?
4: Yeah, so um, it came about because for a while, and it's so funny that you use that analogy because for a while I've been wanting to do something on um, just the experience of some sort of piece on the experience of people with disabilities, and um, it it is exactly as you say. And so I've always, you know, just kind of keeping my eyes open and ears open on different uh, things related to um their plight. And I happened upon this article that was just kind of talking about subminimal wages, subminimum wages, excuse me. And um, the dollar amount shocked me. Um, Already minimum wage, as a former restaurant worker, I totally, that's already blasphemous, $2 an hour, like, are you kidding me? But 25 cents, 15 cents. Minimum wage isn't the same for everyone. Businesses can take advantage of a section of a federal act that allows them to pay people with disabilities less. This program was established under the Roosevelt administration with arguably good intentions. War veterans who developed physical and mental disabilities from combat came home from abroad and struggled to find employment.
0: There's no limit to how low an employer can pay, so employers could legally pay pennies per hour.
1: There are even places in America where workers earn as little as 22 cents an hour. It's all perfectly legal
4: they're really working. They're not just sitting there. I don't know what people think they're doing. They're actually working. It's actual labor. And to pay somebody 15 cents an hour, simply because they have a a developmental um, delay to me is deplorable and disgusting. And um, I was like, we absolutely need to do this. And so I pitched it and Everybody was shocked that that mm-hmm. that heard about it. Like, what this is happening? This and it's legal. Um, and yeah, that's how it came about. Just the I guess the shocking aspect of it. Nobody really believed that this was a real thing, but it is. Is,
3: is there anything out of all of that shock and awe that stood out above everything else? Or was it just the mm-hmm. fact that it's all of this is legal?
4: I think it, it was multiple things are shocking. First of all, the dollar amount, incredibly shocking. Secondly, um, the fact that it's being done to people that are always already so undervalued within our society. It just is like, it, it's just, it's like the the cherry on top of a, a very poor Sunday. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Then on top of that, the fact that it's legal to do so. And then I think the the sort of the, fourth most shocking thing is the the actual labor that they're doing like anybody else if anyone on this podcast was doing that labor we would be paid a substantial wage and to give somebody 15 cents an hour simply because they have a disability is crazy to me and it's not certain it's not just uh developmental uh disabilities it could be someone who is you know a crippled or um, has is missing a limb or something, it's all considered disabled and they can all be paid at that wage. And so at that wage, excuse me. And so that was what was uh, probably is the most shocking thing now, as I'm saying it. And so what message does that send? Like, like what, what, what does that, what does that say about the way society
3: views these workers? Like if we are okay with paying these people that, what does that say about who we are?
2: I just wrote a book about this actually called One Fair Wage, Ending Subminimum Pay in America, featuring workers, tipped workers who get a subminimum wage, also workers with disabilities, youth, uh, incarcerated workers, gig workers. And if you look at each of these categories of people who can legally be paid less than the subminimum wage. It is because of their identity, not because of the work that they're doing or their their skill or their professionalism. Tipped workers are overwhelmingly women, disproportionately women of color and were originally black women entirely. And come on, it's $2 after 81 years of a federal minimum wage law because they are women and disproportionately women of color. They are the lowest income women in America. Uh, incarcerated workers, largely or disproportionately black and brown. Uh, workers with disabilities simply because they have a disability. Young people simply because they're younger. Gig workers who are immigrants and marginalized folks in our society. Each of these categories of people who get a sub minimum. It is, frankly, in my opinion, and everything I've written about is, it's a reflection on America's valuation of some people as subhuman, as su- as less than less worth than others. It's America's valuation of Black people and women from the beginning right mm. with with these two legacies of slavery it's america's valuation mm-hmm. of people with disabilities it's america's valuation of young people all legal all reflected in law it's a reflection of our values in law yes. and it's and it is horrific because what is the definition of the word minimum the idea of the word minimum is that It's the least you can earn, that there shouldn't be anybody earning less than it. And so if somebody can earn less than it, it means that that somebody is not a somebody that they are somehow less than a somebody. Uh, They're subhuman. They are valued at less because of their identity. And look, in the case of tipped workers, the fact that they're overwhelmingly women, and single moms makes them incredibly vulnerable to uh, just horrific sexual harassment uh, and power dynamics between customers, managers, coworkers, and, and the workers. So we have the highest rates of sexual harassment of any industry in the United States of America because you've got a workforce of women that is basically told the customer is always right. And our research shows they're actually told by managers, dress more sexy, show more cleavage, wear tighter clothing in order to make more money in tips. That's how you're going to do well in this job is by putting yourself out there, you know, pleasing the customer because the customer is always right. And that invariably leads to people being uh, harassed and even assaulted in in really horrific ways
3: now see right there mm-hmm. i want to i want to take a break right there because i want to get into that a little bit more after the break because if the government says i don't have to respect you as your employer then how does that lack of respect spill over into the actual employment experience for the employee this is beyond the scenes we'll be right back
5: LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here.
0: The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher.
3: it's legal to pay and underpay marginalized groups like they're worthless, which I would imagine, Saru, as you already touched on a little bit with regards to sexual harassment within the workplace, that it leads the employer to feel like I don't have to respect you. And it also leads to the customer feeling like I don't have to respect you either. What direct impact does the subminimum wage have on workers and how does it perpetuate race, gender, and disability discrimination in the workforce? Well, I guess what are some other ways, at least?
2: In the case of tipped workers who are overwhelmingly women, disproportionately women of color, single moms, they are incredibly vulnerable to any kind of customer harassment because they know that those customers' tips feed their children. You know, when you get a sub minimum wage, and I'm sure both of you experience this of two or three or four or five dollars, whatever it is in your state. Uh, It is so low. You literally, it literally goes to taxes. You get a pay stub that says this is not a paycheck and it says zero. So you are literally completely dependent on the goodwill, graces mercy and biases of customers to feed your children and those customers can basically do anything to you however they touch you or treat you or talk to you the customer is always right and even beyond that our research shows that managers actually encourage women dress more sexy show more cleavage essentially sell yourself and sell your body in order to make more money in tips. And we know this is directly connected to the sub-minimum wage because there are seven states that actually got rid of the sub-minimum wage many decades ago. California, Oregon, Washington, Nevada, Minnesota, Montana, and Alaska all require a full minimum wage with tips on top and have for decades. And unlike what you might hear from the National Restaurant Association, these seven states actually have restaurants, uh, actually have Mm -hmm actually larger and, and, you know, more booming restaurant industry than the 43 states with the sub-minimum wage. Because guess what? When you pay people a wage, they go spend it in restaurants. And so the restaurant industry does better when you pay people better. But what we also know from these seven states is that sexual harassment is cut in half, one half the rate of Mm. sexual harassment. Why? Because the women in those seven states tell us Well, I get a full wage from my boss. I get tips. Tipping is actually higher in California and Alaska than it is anywhere in the country. But they're not completely dependent on the customer tips to feed their families. They can count on that wage from their boss. And so they don't put up with as much from the customers. They don't have to tolerate as much touching or comments or anything from customers because they can count on that wage. From the boss. Now, you said racial, sexual, worker with disability. So I talked about gender, that sexual harassment is, as I said, the highest of any industry. But it's also true that this system creates severe racial inequities because there is now irrefutable, unsurmountable evidence that actually tipping is not correlated in the United States with the quality of service. It is correlated with the race and gender of the server. Now, there's been so much testing women of color and people of color always get tipped less even when they are performing what's called perfect service even when they're right alongside a white server in a fine dining restaurant because of what's called implicit bias among customers and we saw that get very ugly during the pandemic it was always there and not as explicit during the pandemic it got incredibly explicit we heard from women i'm regularly asked take off your mask so I can see how cute you are before I decide how much I want to tip you. We heard that so frequently from so many thousands of women. We ended up coining a term for it. We call it masculine harassment. Uh, (laughs) And then on race, we heard from so many, yeah, we heard from so many people of color that it it went way beyond the typical just getting tipped less as a person of color when they tried to tell a, a customer, you know, wear a mask, sit six feet apart, as they were forced to do, you know, show me your vax card they got screamed at, they got yelled at, they got tipped less. We had a member who was punched in the face for trying to enforce these rules. People were not trying to hear from people of color what to do in the restaurants. Mm. It really reached a point of such extreme that people started leaving en masse. I mean, we have done so many thousands of surveys with workers. Why are you leaving? What, you know, what would make you come back? And it's this sub minimum wage over and over 80 percent of workers that we've surveyed and we've surveyed thousands like five thousand have said the top reason that they're leaving the industry and what would make them come back is the sub minimum wage. If they got a full wage with tips on top, they would consider coming back. I think
3: part of what happened during the pandemic as well was that a lot of us hit rock bottoms emotionally and a lot of people fiscally so the idea of what do I have to lose well I can't lose a job well COVID took the job from you for a while so it gave people a lot of people I believe the strength to go no you know what screw that because people made adjustments people figured out a way to kind of shift do you also think Saru to a degree that the power dynamic because so many of us As employees, just if we're just going with the average restaurant customer, most of them are not supervisors at their job. Most of them are not calling the shots at their job. So there's a there's a there's a foot on their neck all day. Mm -hmm. And this little meal at Applebee's is the only time you get to be in charge. You get to call the shots. You get to say what you want to do. And you, you put on top of that a bunch of. Two, three years of fiscal uncertainty, the pressure, of the pandemic, nobody went to therapy. So, yeah, I'm going to fight you in this Waffle House right now because my toast was too brown. I know Waffle House don't want me to say their name. <laughs> Waffle House,
4: but it is what it is. They've, they
3: told you. <laughs> like When we talk about the disrespect towards the workers, how much does general... Mental stresses that we're under as a society is in, in talking about the pandemic specifically. How much do you think that has helped to exacerbate how wild the customers are now acting with these workers?
2: I mean, I mean, yeah, everybody lost it. Everybody lost it during the pandemic. People forgot how to act for sure. But I mm-hmm. do want to say, Roy, it wasn't just the customers at Applebee's and at Waffle House. We saw fine dining customers walk into restaurants you know take off your mask so i can see how cute you are i tell you a story of a a server in arizona at a very fancy fancy fine dining restaurant scottsdale arizona wearing a mask because they were required to by their managers Uh, and the customer comes in with his wife and is staring at her breast the entire time and at some point says, you know, I'm so glad you're wearing a mask because it's giving me an opportunity to look at something else all evening. You know, or another bartender we have, member of ours, Ifoma, who worked at a really fancy fine dining bar in in Washington, D.C. and the customer, take off your mask so I can see how you look. And she says, no, I'm not allowed to. Her manager's standing right behind her. And he says, well, I guess we know who's not going to get tipped tonight. I guess we know who's not going to walk home with a lot of tips tonight. The power dynamic, you know, was always there. The racial inequity is always there. My money will
3: dictate your future. Exactly.
2: Exactly. I this it is a power dynamic that's always existed it just got ugly it got ugly with the pandemic and workers reached their limit you know first of all we didn't even talk about this two-thirds of tipped workers told us they couldn't even get unemployment insurance because in most states they were told that sub minimum wage was too low to qualify for benefits Mm. we heard from thousands of workers in that moment wait a second if the government's telling me i earn too little bing I think I earned too little. (laughs) I I should never have accepted this wage to begin with. And then they went back to work. They were told, okay, now you're going to do two jobs for the price of a sub-minimum wage, not even the minimum wage. Now you're going to be a server and a public health marshal. People reached their limit. Tips went down. Harassment went up. People were screamed at, yelled at. We have seen 1.2 million workers leave this industry. Sixty percent of those who remain say they're leaving and 80 percent say the only thing that would make them come back is a livable wage. Stephanie,
3: Mm. during your time in the restaurant industry, I'm going to assume harassment was a part of that (laughs) at at some point. okay. how do you move around that on a day to day to keep the job, to keep the customer happy enough to get a Mm. tip? Like when they hey baby girl where you going after your shift? <laughs> what nah, nah, nah. Because you're trying to navigate around the harassment while still maintaining a positive connection with this person to get yes. the twenty percent tip.
4: Yes, I think just in general for women, particularly as a woman living in New York, how you move, how you navigate in a restaurant environment is how you navigate on the streets of this city where it's a same. It's a similar thing. I think. um you just, you have to smile and and be polite. And that's always what managers, just as uh, Saru was saying, they always try to, you know, tell us to to act in that manner. But I can, when I think about the people I interacted with, um, luckily, honestly, I didn't experience an extreme amount of like harassment, but I did see um, a disproportionate way in which I was treated in terms of with interacting with managers and like male co-workers were treated um it was drastically different i remember um having more tables um feeling like i was running around like a chicken with my neck cut off and having co-workers just like hanging around and not getting support for my tables um I remember confronting a manager about it and um, about like you know why am why do I have so many tables and why am I working so much harder than my other coworkers and it was kind of like dismissed. So um, I think basically everything she has said is absolutely true and um, it is not an environment that is uh, meant to to help women and certainly not a environment meant to help women of color succeed. Fr- frankly.
3: I'm sorry that all of that happened to you. Uh, after the break, we need to get to the bottom of why is this shit still happening? And who, who keeping people from getting the money? I'm sorry for yelling. I don't mean to raise my voice at you ladies. That's not, I'm not raising my voice at y'all. I'm raising my voice at these fake fucking politicians. It's beyond the scenes. I'm
0: perfectly calm. We'll be right back. The wait is over.
3: Beyond the scenes, we're rounding third and headed for home. We're talking sub-minimum wage. Now, the government has decided workers ain't worth a damn, which means that the employers have decided that the workers ain't worth a damn either, which means the customers have decided that the workers ain't worth a damn. Stephanie Saru. How do we stop this and why is it still going on? I would imagine in 2023 that there's probably been a couple of laws or referendums or suggestions in the White House email box saying, hey, can I get a couple of dollars, please? Why has this not changed, Saru? Like, why is this still happening?
2: So first, I do want to say it's been a long time in coming and I want to tell you who why it's not been happening. There's something very hopeful we should start with. We are experiencing this historic moment. Our members are calling it. A, it's not even a great resignation. It's a great revolution where workers for the first time since emancipation are standing up, walking out, demanding, I'm not going to work unless I get a full minimum wage. And it, in response, we're seeing thousands of restaurants for the first time ever having to raise wages from two and three and four We're tracking restaurants paying 15, 20, 25 restaurants. And we're seeing some restaurants in Cape Cod paying 50 bucks an hour plus because they cannot get staff any other way. So we're in a very hopeful moment. But it brings us to the question of why has it taken so long? Mm. What has what's blocked us all these years? And the answer is very clear, very simple. After emancipation, restaurants, as I said, wanted the ability to hire newly freed slaves. And in 1919, they actually formed an association to keep it so, forever, called the National Restaurant Association. We call it the other NRA. Uh, It's been around for a hundred years arguing, we shouldn't have to pay our workers because you do, basically. They won this in 1938. They won it in every, uh, every time the minimum wage goes up, they make sure it stays low and they make sure tipped workers are always left behind y'all remember herman cain well herman godfather
3: pizza yeah
2: exactly (laughs) exactly herman cain was the head of the national restaurant association back in 1996 when clinton was president and he struck a deal with congress saying sure you can go ahead and let the overall minimum wage go up as long as tipped workers are frozen forever and so in 1996 Uh, We saw the wage for tipped workers stay. It went up the last time in 1991. It's been, uh, you know, ridiculous. 32 years since this wage has gone up. We have mothers and daughters who've worked for two dollars and 13 cents an hour Mm. through their whole careers. Mm. Uh, And it's because basically Congress, Democrats and Republicans have struck deals with the National Restaurant Association Uh, basically agreeing that every time the minimum wage goes up, these workers, these women get thrown under the bus. And and here's the thing. So New York Times has just reported that, um, you know, information that we shared with them, that actually all these years they've spent so much money, the Restaurant Association funding, you know, contributions to elected officials, candidates that then vote with them, that then say, okay, fine, we'll leave the tipped workers out. Turns out all of that money, instead of coming from the member corporations that drive the other NRA, like Applebee's and IHOP and Olive Garden and Chili's, turns out that all of that money actually comes from low-wage workers who are funding their lobbying without knowing it. So Mm. in 2009, it was the last time the federal minimum wage went up and tipped workers were left at $2.13 an hour. And then the Restaurant Association decided after 2009 that that was it. They never wanted to let the minimum wage go up again. And they certainly didn't want tipped workers to ever go up. So they basically went to the states, the four states with the largest restaurant industries, California, Illinois, Florida, Texas, and they got bills passed in each of those states requiring workers to take food handler training and pay for it. Hmm. Now it just so happens that the Restaurant Association owns the monopoly company that provides food handler training called ServeSafe, And so millions of workers (laughs) each year are forced to take this training and guess where that money goes? It goes to the Restaurant Association and they turn around and use it to lobby against those same low-wage workers' interests. So low-wage workers, are funding the lobbying of the other NRA to the Mm. tune of $80 million a year. And that lobbying is then used to get both Democrats and Republicans to agree that, fine, every time the wage goes up, we leave the tipped workers out because those poor restaurants, everybody else can be forced to pay the minimum wage, but those poor restaurants have to be left out. They don't have to pay the minimum wage, even though everybody else does. So it's a nefarious history that finally, finally, we are reaching a moment of victory because workers in the millions are finally saying enough is enough. Regardless of what you do, you, you know, I won't even say the words, elected officials (laughs) and restaurant associations, we are not putting up with it anymore. So try to staff your restaurants without
3: us. How do you, Stephanie, take everything that she just said and boil that down into... Like, 30 seconds and a joke. Like, talk a little bit. (laughs) Like, I'm being silly, but I'm serious. Like, talk a little bit about when something starts making you upset, when you start peeling back the layers of it, talk a little bit about the creative difficulties in deciding what to keep within a piece versus what to leave on a cutting room floor. Because Mm. there's so much that you could pack into a story, but we only have so much time on the actual, like, on the mothership show, I'm saying.
4: Yeah. I think what I try to focus on, um, you know, we were talking earlier about the most shocking things. So the things that affected me immediately from the story, those are the things that absolutely need to go into the story. And then in thinking about that, I try to think about, okay, so what is the logic behind the 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 villain or the perpetrator of this wrong? What is their mindset? And then trying to think about like the nuggets within the story that emphasize that because that's where the humor is. Like we're clearly society is always, punching down is already punching down at these workers so they're not the subject of the humor obviously it's going to be the people that are doing things like what Saru just described to me you heard me I was like "Mm, mm, mm," like Mm -hmm. the entire time because it's just so ridiculous so that's where the humor is so not only am I not going to pay you but I'm going to use your the very little money I already give you to fund me to continue to not pay you like that is it's like I I don't want to just do you wrong I want to do you just Dirty, like just just, (laughs) and that's the humor. Yeah, I don't know
3: about you two, but I'm inspired to to own a restaurant all of a sudden. This sounds like a <laughs> good-ass hustle to me. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah, really! <laughs> and the, the thing that's always funny to me also, when it, it, across, particularly in the United States, whenever there's an issue of, oh, there's not money, you know, the 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 big wigs always him and hawing, there's no money, there's not enough money, we can't do it because we can't afford it. There's always money, they always find the money. Okay, well, so and,
2: like- Yeah, to your point, all these restaurants that fought us for so long on this issue, So many of them are now paying this because they can't get staff to come back any other way. So you're right. They found the money. Look, exactly. there have always been amazing small business. We have an association of 2,500 small business restaurants that are actually leading the way on this issue that actually agree with us. We need to pay everybody a full wage because it's better for the bottom line. Guess what workers do when they're paid more? They actually provide us with better service. They don't leave. They don't quit. You know, they stay longer. They're loyal. They, they provide better food and better service And they go spend it in our economy. They go spend it in restaurants. So there are plenty of great restaurant owners that have always done this. And now with this great revolution, thousands more restaurants are following their lead because, look, even Applebee's, Applebee's, (laughs) Applebee's, (laughs) which fights this and leads this, you know, National Restaurant Association. Guess what they're doing? They, like everybody else, have to pay more. So they're starting to pay 15 in Utah and Nebraska. And West Virginia, we saw them paying $20 an hour in Quakerstown, Pennsylvania. And um, and yet they're still paying $2.13 in Birmingham and $3 in Detroit. So you mm. tell me what's different between the yeah. states I mentioned and Birmingham and Detroit, because and it's very clear in New York, Applebee's is offering $15 to workers in Manhattan and $10 to workers in Harlem and the Bronx and the Queens. So they are having to raise wages, but they will stick to their racism to the very (laughs) last, you know, moment. Pick and choose.
3: (laughs) Help me to understand though, the difference when we're talking about the bigger corporations that have money and shareholders and investors, and they can move around, move around money, the restaurant industry, if we're just talking at the mom and pop level, it's very volatile. It's still an industry where most of the restaurants fail within the first year. I think 18 months was the last statistic that I heard. So What do you say, Saru, to the counter that without the subminimum wage, that people with disabilities wouldn't have as many employment opportunities because of the ADA Act or... If I just run my little barbecue hut and you gonna make me pay my service $10 an hour, well, now I got to raise my menu prices and the customers, when they find out, oh, they gonna stop. T- I don't know why I'm talking like that, Stephanie. Like, <laughs> it's, a Missis- it's a Mississippi barbecue hut. But this idea as a restaurant owner, okay, I want to pay them more, but if I do, I have to change my whole business model. I might have to fire two servers, Like, is there any validity to that counter argument to raising subminimum wage?
2: Look, the validity comes from the Restaurant Association telling these small mom and pop businesses for years, this is the only way to do it. If you pay more, you're going to go out of business. They terrify them. So I we feel for their fear. But the fear is not based on reality, because the truth is we have helped thousands of small business restaurants make this transition profitably. There are ways to do it. We have a actually a calculator that helps restaurants put in their menu prices and staff size. We show them how to make the adjustments profitably. So many restaurants, thousands have just done it. Roy, there are restaurants, right? I can give you a list of over 50 restaurants in Mississippi that are currently paying a full minimum wage with tips on top. Because so many restaurants have had to move in this direction in order to recruit staff. So what we say back to small business employers is we know you've been told that it's impossible or really hard that you're going to have to lay people off, But it's just not true. And what is your option right now? No staff? You're not going to have enough staff to fully operate unless you make the change. Here's how you can, how so many other restaurants have done it profitably.
3: Okay, but if I run the mom and pop barbecue spot, and this doesn't necessarily compare to sub minimum wage, but it's It's part of the larger conversation about the restaurant industry when we talk about the fight for 15 and all of the fast food workers going, I want $15. And then the restaurant industry going, cool, here's your $15. Half of you are fired. And now we're going to put in self-service kiosk touchscreens and everybody just just order from a touch screen. Do you think what's happening in the adjustments that have happened in the fast food industry with the fight for 15 is used to help fuel the fear to control the independent restaurants? that are still dealing with the sub-minimum wage uh, with not wanting to increase their sub-minimum wage?
2: That's definitely the argument and the fear, for sure. But um, it is not, it's not actually borne out to be the truth. Actually, Roy, the states that have raised wages and ended sub-minimum wages have actually higher job growth rates. So fast food workers have not been replaced by kiosks overwhelmingly. There might be one or two places where you might see that, but if you look at data, the states with the highest wages have the largest restaurant industries and the greatest job growth rates in the restaurant industry. Why? Again, it's because in those states, those fast food workers are doing. Guess what? They're going out and they're spending it. And so the industry grows. More mm-hmm. restaurants can survive if more workers are able to take their families to eat. We forget this is the largest industry in America. That I means it's the largest population of consumers who will eat out in restaurants and, by the way, tip better because you both know after having lived on the tip minimum wage, you're going to tip better. So they spend it, they eat out, they tip better. They're better customers, frankly. Uh, And so we need to value them as customers. I do want to say, because I know we're running out of time, we are just experiencing the most wonderful, historic moment of victory on this issue. Finally, talk about the growth.
3: Let's get some good news in here. Yeah,
2: yeah, 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 because all of these fears you're lifting up, uh, you know, have gone out the window as workers have basically said enough is enough. So as a result, uh, we won. We won in Michigan and D.C. Michigan just went from three dollars for tipped workers to twelve dollars an hour. And D.C. just went from five dollars to sixteen seventy five. And we've got bills and ballot measures moving in over a dozen states this year and next year, all because workers have reached their limit and they're saying enough is enough. You have to stop listening to the Restaurant Association. In fact, you have to stop listening to the Restaurant Association because they're using our money to make their <laughs> arguments. That's the part. Um,
4: and it's <laughs> that <hard> part. <laughs> to to
3: okay, last question then. Uh, what can we do other than tip better? What can the average person do to support Thank workers? You so much,
2: yeah, for asking that question. The number one thing is to, right now, go to our website. There's a tool on our website, onefairwage.org, that allows you to click to send your legislator a message saying, Stop taking money from the restaurant associations taken fraudulently from low wage workers and support passing one fair wage, a full minimum wage with tips on top. That's number one. But also, if you go to highroadrestaurants.org, you'll see a list of restaurants that are currently offering a full minimum wage with tips on top, thousands of them in every state. We want you to definitely support those restaurants. More importantly, wherever you eat, show that list on your phone to the owner manager at the end of your meal say, hey, I don't see you on this list. I love eating here. I love the food. I love the service. But I want to see you on this list of restaurants paying a full minimum wage with tips on top. Otherwise, I don't want to keep supporting a restaurant that's taking my tips and using it to pay the workers' wages. I want my tips to be on top of a wage rather than instead of a wage. I uh, mm. so need you to communicate every time you eat out, not to the server, they don't have power, not to the, any of the workers, but to the manager or owner at the end of your meal and say, I need to see you pay a full wage because, you know, I think when I tip, it should go to the workers on top of a wage, not instead of a wage.
3: Well, I wish that we had more time, because if we did, I would have asked you a question about all of these other random places where I know you getting a full wage and then you just put out a homemade tip jar up front. Yeah, right. And it was a non-service-based industry. I understand service-based, like Whole yes. Stone Creamery cool, but come on, man, this is an oil change spot. I, huh?
4: key. Um,
3: I'm here to buy a printer. Why is there a tip jar next to the cash register at the place to buy the printers? I'm not going to Because all no these nick-
2: companies want what the restaurant industry has. The more they, ter- Apple Pay makes us tip everywhere, the more and more companies are going to say, well, they get tips, I can pay a sub-minimum. We got to get rid of this subminimum so it doesn't keep growing into every freaking industry where we get tipped everywhere.
3: Well, thank you all so, so much. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you to our guests, Stephanie and Saru, for going beyond the thank scenes. Thank you, Roy. With me. And also tip on carryout orders. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to The Daily Show, Beyond the Scenes, on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.